The Dare by Roger Hoffman, read by Rochelle Baroda. The secret to diving under a moving freight train and rolling out the other side with all your parts attached lies in picking the right spot between the tracks to hit with your back. Ideally, you want soft dirt or pea gravel, clear of glass shards and railroad spikes that could cause you instinctively and fatally to sit up. Today, at 38, I couldn't be threatened or baited enough to attempt that dive. But as a 7th grader struggling to make the cut in a tough Atlanta grammar school, all it took was a dare. I coasted through my first years of school as a fussed over smart kid. The teacher's pet who, fin pet who finished his work first and then strutted around the room tutoring other students. By the 7th grade, I had more A's than friends. Even my old cronies, Dwayne and O.T., made it clear I'd never be one of the guys in junior high if I didn't dirty up my act. They challenged me to break the rules, and I did. I dare use escalated, shoplifting, sugaring teachers' gas tanks, dropping lighted matches into public mailboxes. Each guerrilla act won me the approval I never got for just being smart. Walking home by the railroad tracks after school, we started playing chicken with oncoming trains. O.T., who was failing that year, always won. One afternoon, he charged a boxcar from the side, stopping just short of throwing himself between the wheels. I was stunned. After the train disappeared, we debated whether someone could dive under a moving car, stay put for ten count, then scramble out the other side. I thought it could be done and said so. O.T. immediately stepped in front of me and smiled. Not by me, I added quickly. I certainly didn't mean that I could do it. A smart guy like you, he said, his smile evaporating. You could figure it out easy. And then, squeezing each word for effect, I dare you. I'd just turned 12. The monkey clawing my back was teacher's pet, and I'd been dared. As an adult, I've been on both ends of life's implicit business and social I dare use, although adults don't use those words. We provoke with body language, tone of voice, ambiguous phrases. I dare you to argue with the boss, tell Fred what you think of him, send the wine back. Only rarely are the risks physical. How we respond to dares when we are young may have something to do with which of the truly hazardous male inner dares attacking mountains, tempting bulls of Pamplona, Pamplona. We embrace or ignore as men. For two weeks, I scouted trains and tracks. I studied moving boxcars close up, memorizing how they squatted on their axles, never getting used to the squeal or the way the air fell hot from the sides. I created an imaginary, friendly train and ran next to it. I mastered a shallow, headfirst dive with a simple half-twist. I'd land on my back, count to ten, imagine wheels, and, locking both hands on the rail to my left, heave myself out and over. Even under pure sky, though, I had to fight to keep my eyes open and my shoulders between the rails. The next Saturday, O.T., Duane, and three eighth graders met me below the hill that backed up to the lumber yard. The track followed a slow bend there and opened to the, a straight, light, slightly uphill climb for a solid third of a mile. My run started 200 yards, yards after the bend. The train would have its tongue hanging out. The other boys huddled off to one side, a circle on another planet, and watched quietly as I double-knotted my shoelaces. My hands trembled. O.T. broke the circle and came over to me. 
He kept his hands hidden in the pocket of his jacket. We looked at each other. BBs of sweat appeared beneath his nose. I stuffed my wallet in one of his pockets, rubbing it against his knuckles on the way in, and slid my house key wired to a red and white fishing bobber into the other. We backed away from each other, and he turned and ran to join the four already climbing up the hill. I watched them all the way to the top. They clustered together as if I were taking their picture. Their silhouette resembled a round, a round shouldered tombstone. They waved down to me, and I dropped them from my mind and sat down on the rail. Immediately, I jumped back. The steel was vibrating. The train sounded like a cow going short of breath. I pulled my shirt tail out and looked down at my spot then up the incline of track ahead of me. Suddenly, the air went hot, and the engine was by me. I hadn't pictured it moving that fast. A man's bare head leaned out and stared at me. I waved to him with my left hand and, looked, and turned into the train, burying my face into the incredible noise. When I looked up, the head was gone. I started running alongside the boxcars. Quickly, I found their pace, held it, and then eased off, concentrating on each thick wheel that cut past me. I slowed another notch. Over my shoulder, I picked my car as it came off the bend, locking in the image of the white mountain goat painted on its side. I waited, leaning forward like the anchor in a 440 relay, wishing the baton up the track behind me. Then the big goat fired by me, and I was flying, then, then tucking my shoulder as I dipped under the train. A heavy blanket of red dust settled over me. I felt bolted to, I felt bolted to the earth. Sheet metal bellies thundered and shook above my face. Count to ten, a voice said. Watch the axles and look to your left for daylight. But I couldn't count, and I couldn't find left in my life if my life depended on it, which it did. The colors overhead went from brown to red to black to red again. Finally, I ripped my hands free and forced them to the rail, and, in one convulsive jerk, threw myself into the blue light. I lay there face down until there was no more noise, and I could feel the sun against the back of my neck. I sat up. The last ribbon of train was slipping away in the distance. Across the tracks, O.T. was leading a cavalry charge down the hill. Five very small, galloping boys, their fists whirling above them. I pulled my knees to my chest. My corduroy pants puckered wet across my thighs. I didn't care.